0: Hey, hello, and this is your host, Archie, and I'm back with the Season 3 of Discover Your Second Act podcast. After completing 100 amazing episodes with 100 amazing people, it's Season 3 now. I'm a Discover Your Second Act coach, helping people to discover their potential, which still remains untapped or undiscovered because of various reasons – like not getting enough opportunities or rather not seeing opportunities around us, not knowing our strengths, are able to break our own barriers, getting stuck with imposter syndrome, and the list is endless. The medium of podcast I use as this platform has inspired and touched many lives, not because there are stories of success, but here are stories and experiences of people who failed, who learned and who got up. They shared their resilience, their vulnerabilities, their hope of new learnings and new possibilities. They were no different than you and me. All they did was to give themselves a chance to discover their second act. So are you ready to get inspired by this new season with many more stories that will touch you in many ways? All you need to do is just open to receiving. So cheers to yet another second act that unfolds. because you are that person who has chosen to impact other people's lives and in between we impact our own lives and I'm learning it as a new baby because Pedalon is a very very new concepted um, place where I'm helping women to feel better about themselves, it's a place for holistic well-being but I'm always intrigued by people who have really been in this journey and I'm so excited to welcome today uh, Sujata Sahu who is a I think a very known social entrepreneur in the space of creating 17,000 feet. Yes. Uh, Jata, of course, um, you know, your journey when I read about you is very, very, um, what should I say, empowering because you also work with women. You've also worked with children in the field of education. You've also earned a lot of awards as a recognition to all your work. So less is said then uh, you know, it's better that you introduce yourself and also tell us where? How did you land in becoming a social entrepreneur? Why was Seventeen Thousand Feet
1: formed, and what's going on right, right now? Okay, great. Uh, <laughs> Ashna, thank you for having me. Excited to be on be on this podcast. So yes, I'm a social entrepreneur, but I wasn't. This uh, this was a late entry in my life. I wasn't always a social entrepreneur, uh, as you can see my gray hair. I've been around <laughs> for quite some time. So. I, uh, I am, am an IT major, so I did my post-graduation in computer science. I've always had a corporate job for 15 years. Uh, 15 years I worked mostly in the United States, a few years in India as well. And while it was great to work in corporate and also it was great to work in, in a different country, India has always been my home and it was by choice that I wanted to move back. So way back in 2002, after about 15 years in corporate, I moved back to India and then you know a lot of things uh, hit me quite starkly having lived in a, in a well in a country like the us where you know we have a lot more our earning potential was a lot more at that point i come back to india and some of the things that we take for granted you know kids on the street begging uh, yeah. you know poverty poor education you as, as you as you're growing up you just kind of I don't think you look at it that much. But having spent so many years outside of India, when I came back, I said, this is my country, you know, why do I look at it and look away? Why do I feel vaguely guilty? But why do I not do anything? Um, So in almost the first year that I came back, I remember I was in Bombay and there were very severe floods in Bombay at that point. And it was so bad. I was in my in my house. Uh, water, we have a, I had a little, tiny little bungalow out there in Bombay, it's largely only tiny but it's still a bungalow uh-huh. and uh, the water it still reached the ground floor a few feet to water and so me and my kids were up in the top floor and outside I could see the rain was pouring, we had about a few days of continuous rain and I saw a guy in a car, he was sitting in the car, he couldn't get out, the water was water- waterlogged and uh, my heart reached out to the, I could see from the window that he was there. And my heart reached out and I said, I should call him in. Mm. But another part of me said, my God, I don't know who he is. You know, what if he comes in I'm here with my kids and I'm alone. And, you know, humanity just kind of took a backseat to the basic, uh, what do you call it? I'm glad you're saying all this. You know, humanity mm. just takes a backseat and you're like, you you just think about you being a little suspicious mm. and you're not. I didn't call him in till today. I regret it. I mean, he was fine. He, I made sure he left and waited saw him for a while but that time I did a little bit of uh, gathering uh, you know support from all wow. the families in there I lived in a very affluent neighborhood of uh, bombay gathered a lot of things and I went to a lot of slums I saw water had reached you know 10 feet high you know the water marks were up there I couldn't go back home that night was terrible for me to think that you know I lived in a bungalow and there are these slums which are just one door is just a few feet away from another and narrow pathways where wow. people running out. Wow. Um, I think that was my initiation to that. When I came back to India from the US, I quit my corporate job. I had taken a conscious decision that I wanted to be with my kid children. Right. It was very important for me. Uh, I want to be with my children. Children are oh. my passion. And I started getting a lot involved in their education. Yeah. and. So- um, So this was the start of my social journey, if you will, but at that point I was going through a a very challenging marriage, I was going through domestic abuse, I left that marriage, I walked out with three kids, came to Gurgaon, and um, at that time I decided to focus all my energy on children, on helping children have a better life, that was just a vague thought in my head, and um, So that was the second chapter for me, if you will, letting go of a life that I knew very well and fairly cushy life. But I decided to walk out against it to make a restart for my life. So I went to, I came to Gurgaon, where I am today, and I started doing things with children. I would take children trekking in the outdoors. Mm, That's very nice. I love trekking. I love the outdoors. I'm a very high energy uh, person. So I would love being around kids. I would take them outdoors. Wow. And um, so I joined this organization where I would take children trekking for a while. then I started teaching at a very good progressive wow. school here in Gurgaon known a Sriram school. And in doing so while I was getting the crazy uh, you know energy through my, through yeah. my students, what really hit me again was in the evenings again there would be the Sriram school would have these uh, children who would come from uh, you know, the lower societies yeah. uh, uh, from government schools. They were given an opportunity to come to our school and study in the evening, yeah. but this was after all the students went away. So though they came into a very beautiful-looking school, these children came from poorer backgrounds. They didn't get any better treatment. Mm. They just got an opportunity to see a beautiful building and see the facilities of you know swimming pools and courts and things like that. And I felt wrong. I felt it was it was the great thing, but I mm. said why can't these guys have it too? Mm. Um, so at that point in time uh, my life changed because I went um, I got remarried at that point and I went on a solo trek to Ladakh so that's bold
0: too I mean getting remarried and going on a solo trek that's bold yeah, for women bold. to do
1: yes that is bold you're right on that you know yeah. come, yes yeah, You will come to this question I'm very very excited to ask you this how did you do but that? yes I all let me tell you one thing about me I've never I don't think I've ever taken a a straight path okay i've always explored i've always uh taken my own decisions lived with my consequences you know good or bad and uh, yeah i just feel life is a journey so that's how i've been going wow. so let's talk about the solo remarried yes that's another story but mm. let's let's come back to that mm. so solo trek i've been trekking before but solo was like really new for me and my husband at that time uh my husband told me that uh Ladakh is this place. So, Ladakh wasn't very as well known as it is today. Mm. So, uh, 2010 this was and he said, you have to explore Ladakh and Ladakh is this great place. And honestly, I was tired Sorry, I was tired of hearing the word Ladakh so much and I said, I must go see it. <laughs> wow. And um, I wasn't prepared. He told me you go and then he left for a business trip, but, but I was so fired up. I said, what is the solo trek and what is Ladakh? And he, if he can do it, why can't I? right he's been on many uh, solo trips before so i just made up my mind took out a map and uh, you know they went on to google got some information i said let's do this i went with nothing apart from sheer enthusiasm and very little information i will advise oh. you not to go this way mm. okay but that's basically what i went on
0: i but that's many years ago now i don't think people go that blindly like
1: and so no, that so bravely true. that like is you true. Did. that is true um you would be surprised though, but yes, 2010, <laughs> so I, I went in there and it was, those days there were not many people, it was very lonely and I, you're supposed to acclimatize on day one, right? Mm. Because it's a high altitude. Yes. And um, I was trying to acclimatize, but I got bored out of my mind, like I told you, very high energy. I'm like, I'm going to do something. But um, so the person I, who was helping me with the trek, I was there alone. He said, you need to wait a day, just hold on, hold your horses. But I said, okay, I'm bored, but wait, tomorrow let me do a chodasa sa really small one. He said, okay, just go for a small climb on a little mountain behind the main market. So I said, fine. I, next day I went to him and said, this is a small mountain and no big deal. Mm. My God, I, said, I cannot tell you how bloody difficult that was. And really? uh, yeah, yeah. So Ladakh is at 11,300 feet. Wow the main town of Leh, I'm coming from Delhi, which is just a few hundred feet and I had basically climbed from 800 feet to 11,300 in one day and second day I was climbing, not advisable. I could not climb that tiny little mountain and I felt like such a fool. Yeah. Um, I felt took it like a challenge and I said, uh, how is it that it is so difficult for me to do this? And I will not give up, I continued. I came down and I said, gosh, I need to get out and get fitter. So third day, I went on a much larger trek. Now, this trek was a three day trek. Mm. And this trek is what changed my life and what made me become a social entrepreneur. So um, this three day trek, all I had with me was there was a uh, one person who was with whom I was going was showing me the way. So Mm. I got to explain Ladakh to you a little bit. It's just mountains. There are no roads at least where I was going, you just keep climbing mountains on mountain paths, reach one village, then another, then another. Mm. You either pitch a camp at one village or a tent and sleep there overnight, cook your own food, or you have the option of staying in a homestay. So I said, I'll just do homestay. I want to see how the local people live. And um, yeah, I started climbing. So. Day one, I was at 11,300. Day two, I tried to climb. It was terrible. Day three, I had reached 16,000. Again, highly unadvisable. Highly. Wow. And reaching 16,100 feet, um, it was the worst decision of my life. I could not breathe. Okay. My uh, lungs filled with fluid. I was coughing. I was dizzy. I uh, I could barely walk three steps and I would have to sit down. And... uh, The person who was there showing my way, he was like, why are you taking so long? I said, you go, I can't get lost. It's just mountain and one narrow path. I'll see you whenever I see you. So I told him, I'll reach there after a few hours. Just wait, you know, keep me in your sights. And it was the most difficult and challenging trek of my life. And um, one part of me was, Suchata, you're a trekker, you can do this. The other part is, shit have I gotten, sorry. Did did I get into a lot of trouble? Mm. But um, I came into this my first stop uh, while I was climbing. I saw these um, only other people that I saw in like eight, six hours of traveling. There are no roads anywhere. My phones don't work. Uh, I'm seeing nothing for miles around, not animals, Mm. not birds, not trees. It's barren mountains. And I come into this village, which has one home, Mm. just one home. Nothing else, mind you, Ajna. Nothing. Just imagine a situation like that. And on the way there, I saw these two other people who were checking. They were Indians, but foreign doctors in Mm. our eyes. And they heard, they could hear me coughing. They could hear the congestion or whatever it was in Mm. my throat. And they said, you're in bad shape. You need to go back. None of us knew what was wrong with me, except that I couldn't walk and I was in very bad shape. I said, look, no, I didn't come here this far to leave. I'll go slowly but I'll see you at that one house village. Mm. I took three hours later and I reached that village. Um, it was with extreme difficulty. I remember reaching that village. I couldn't even climb the three steps into the household. It was that tough. Wow. And um, it was there. These people helped me with some medicines. It didn't really help at that point, but I took some steroids from them. And there were steroids at that time? Yeah, yeah. 2010, yeah. These no, were they, like? At home, at some not with me. With these, these were American doctors. Oh, okay. they were carrying a whole bunch of medicines. Oh, okay. There are some people who do, but Americans usually do. They carry a lot of meds with them. Mm. I just happened to ask them. I thought I was wheezing. Mm. I thought I had asthma because my son has asthma. Because of my difficulty breathing, I felt I had asthma. I said, "Do you have any steroids on you?" And he's been treated for that. I've gone mm. through it. They said, "Yes, we have this prednisone. Take it." So I took it, and it's a five-day treatment. I wasn't going mm. to get better in a day, but. um Yeah, when I reached there, they looked at me and said, you're crazy. Why are you doing this? Do you have a death wish? Uh um, Did you have a death wish? No. (laughs) No, but I was fascinated with Ladakh. And this was part of the country that we knew nothing about. Mm. You know, there's Facebook, there's social media. You see here everything in a place like Gurgaon. What do you know of a little tiny hamlet which is so far away, takes you one day of a walk to reach. And then you reach this little village which has what, one home? One, there was a husband, wife and a mother-in-law. Mm. Whose mother she was I didn't know. And that was it. So uh, they gave us dinner, lunch, you paid them some three, four, five hundred rupees and that was it. And next day we were supposed to go even higher. Mm. These doctors warned me and said, don't come, go back. Mm. I said, I'll rest the whole day. I remember feeling terrible mm. and um, this experience for me was so surreal. I said, how do I know so little about my own country? Mm. I have to tell you this. I'm I'm very patriotic. I don't come. I mean, it's not like I
0: I don't... We all are in the heart.
1: Yeah, we are. But I come from a forces, defense family. My father is super patriotic. Mm. So it's for me, India is home, you know, so and India is everything for me. So I remember saying this is my country and Mm. how do I know so little about it? I remember doing the next trek, the next day again, which is going higher, almost to 16,900 and to cross a pass and then go all the way down. And these trekkers were very concerned about me, I said, don't be, just keep me in your sights, if I fall down, raise an alarm, come back, get me, but I don't intend, I'll come very slowly. So what would have taken me, say four hours, took me eight, yeah, because I went to double the time. But the second day is where I saw my first school, I came into wow. this village, um, and uh, so that second village takes me two days to reach. Mind you, I didn't tell you this, even to reach that village, the first thing you need to do is cross a river on sitting on a little, small little mm. wooden box. yeah. The wooden box is suspended over a cable over a raging river okay. and somebody pulls it from the other side. Oh wow, interesting. That's how my trek started. So anyway, I come to this village and I see this and once I'm at the village, I'm feeling a lot better, but still nowhere near where it should be. Then I saw my first school. This school was a little rundown little place and it had I think four children, totally four children and they had two teachers, it's a government school, wow. it had four te- four children, two teachers <laughs> of which I saw one teacher and there was some work going on, it was being redone, I think Save the Children was refurnishing uh, re- the school or whatever. I remember peeping in, and I have photographs on my Facebook where I saw broken blackboards, you know, broken benches, and I said, how do children study here? And I forgot all about my discomfort, my illness, the fact that I was coughing. It just blew my mind to think that people could live like this in a place like this so far away. I couldn't even call up, Mm -hmm. pick up the phone, call my husband, parents, children and say, look what I found. Nothing. Mm -hmm. No phones work at that time. I don't think it works even today in those villages and as i reached there i sat there i saw, saw the teacher i said what is this he said ma'am you government school hai. I said, Kitne is said, four or five and i was aghast i just remember going through their books it was an english medium and i said which teacher hai? he says the other teacher has gone to to the main town of lay to get some supplies so he would also have to walk of course he would walk faster than me but he walked back and um so, I said, so where are the kids? And he said, they are now at home, we are teaching them at home because we are, the school was in bad shape and this NGO is rebuilding it or whatever. I said, how long has been going on? He said, 1-2 years. Tiny school, 2 rooms, 3-4 children, it was bizarre. And that was my first initiation and mind you, I come from at that point i was teaching math and computer science to high schoolers in a beautiful school called Ram school with the best of amenities amazing teachers Mm, you know a wonderful principal and kids from the best of backgrounds with the most privileged backgrounds and then i come and see the school with two rooms and four kids and it just life just stopped for me right there somewhere in there i said and Your
0: second act was born.
1: My second act was born. <laughs> Absolutely. Because even in the school, as I was a teacher, though I was teaching mm-hmm. math and computer science, let me tell you, I did everything else besides that too. I would take the children, I would take even my students checking, I, at any like holy or occasions, I would take them out to dog farms, make them work with their hands. I would get them involved in social activities. I would do things on, you know, digitizing the school. So... Wow. Yeah, I'm, I've always been like that, and nice. I wanted kids there to get different exposures. And here, I felt children didn't even have the basic exposure or basic needs. So that was my, I would say, my aha moment, my moment which told me this, this, this makes sense. This is where I can contribute. This is where I can make a difference in just the way oh. I think, very nice. uh, what I can do with uh, for yeah. others in here. So very nice. I mean, at that point, I just knew I wanted to do something. I was so driven. I just remember feeling so passionate about the fact that, and I have kids of my own, right? And I thought of, if my kids were going to a school like this, how would I feel? I remember I I stayed in somebody's home, right? I spoke to them about uh, their kids and what they do. And I was aghast to learn that some of the kids, many of the families had sent their children to faraway towns. this village where I was staying in had about 25 homes. So why were there only 4 kids in the school? Because the majority of the children had been sent off to the main town of Leh. Where, I said, why are they there? And some of those kids were 3-4 years old. They said, ma'am, the school there is much better. Okay, uh, this school is not good enough. There are private schools there. I said, can you afford it? Uh, where do you get the money? They said, no, they get sponsored. Mm. In fact, they were asking me, do you have money? Can you sponsor my child? And it cost like 30, 40,000 rupees at that time to sponsor a child to stay in a hostel and go to a good school. I said, but how do you send a four-year-old mm. child alone? He deserves to be with his parents. That experience for me, being a mother, loving kids, wow. loving education. So, nice. so um, yeah, that was my... I don't very know. Nice. That was my calling, I think. I mean, I had many spiritual experiences. Ladakh is a beautiful place. You must visit.
0: I must visit. But so, uh, after listening to your story, I'm thinking, okay, I need to go much prepared. And yes, listen to the people who are, uh, you know, there to guide you and to tell you exactly what to do. Because you have been very brave. Yes. Unless I have a death wish. <laughs> no, no, no. I didn't have a death wish.
1: But I, I must tell you, obviously, I did survive the check. I got yelled at by my doctor. She said, what did you do? But here's the deal. I will tell you also that that was a three day trek. Ideally, I should have gone back. I didn't. Because I saw that school, I, I was hungry to learn more. And I called up, I, I came, when I came back to the hotel, I was staying and called up my husband and I said, I'm ill. I need to go to the hospital. I did. And uh, my, my doctor, she took a look at me. By the way, my oxygen was very, very low. Okay, my spirit was very low and she was really upset and then she said, you do not acclimatize very well. I said, look, I'm here for a couple more weeks. I didn't have a return ticket, by the way. <laughs> so I said, I plan to stay here a little longer. She said, go back to Delhi. I said, no, I won't. I really need to experience this place. I've just seen a tip of the mm. iceberg. Mm. So despite um, everything, I stayed, uh, uh, I stayed for another 10 days. I did another trek, I stayed in a nunnery, I wanted to see how people live, I went to another village which was a three-day walk, saw a couple more schools out there on the way, um, yeah, it was life-changing for me. Really? I made notes, I still have my diary, nice. and that's how my journey into 17,000 feet started.
0: Wow, I think this kind of story I haven't heard, um, you know, there have been so many social entrepreneurs on my show, Um, And of course, because I'm learning every moment, you know, how to create that impact. Um, This is absolutely, what should I say, outstanding journey and uh, something that I think each one of us, you know, it's everywhere. Where can I create impact? Just that you saw it at 17,000 feet. (laughs) So it's really exciting. But I also heard something which you mentioned before is that you came back because of domestic abuse. Yes uh i want to ask on this show for the benefit of women who are educated and you spoke about the background you came from yeah you spoke about the privilege you had you spoke about the determination that you had as a person how does a woman land up in a domestic abuse having all of this and not i mean just going through this how how is it possible? Please tell me. Because I, for, because there's so many women suffering domestic abuse today. So I really want to bring it that, you know, when we work with the underprivileged section, marginalized communities, yes, it is known that they don't have a voice, but we have a voice. Then what happens along the way?
1: So I think, first of all, I want to clear clarify something. It's a, it's a myth that women in the lower margins of sector uh, lower uh, strata of society suffer domestic abuse right uh, i think it's more here and let me let me clarify that and explain that you see in um, in let us say in uh, where women who come in from in the underprivileged section as you call it what happens is you know yelling screaming maybe raising her hand is kind of a way of life so if a guy can raise a hand the woman is also likely to raise a hand right back Okay, she would just be and say, stop hitting me. People like you and me don't do that. We have an image. For us, society is something totally different. We live through the fear of society. They don't live through the fear of society. So one, I think domestic abuse can hit anyone. And I'm using the word hit, it's ironical I use the word hit. But anyone can be subjected to domestic abuse. It largely depends on both of the individual personas, why did I get into it? Yes, we have a voice. Yes, we are educated. But does education teach you about what is you know what's right and what's wrong? We get textbook education. No, nobody's talking about that. Mm. Tell me, even in one of the best schools that into, I'm, I'm a product of Kendriya Vidyalayas, government schools. They didn't teach me. Uh, my kids went to amazing schools. There's nothing in there about domestic violence. There's nothing in there to say if your mother-in-law or father-in-law says you know what, thoda adjust karlo he's had a bad temper, he's had a bad day, okay, that that's wrong. There's nothing in there to tell you that um, society's impressions don't matter with what you feel is right or wrong matters, right? Nothing in there to tell you it's okay, if you get out of a a bad marriage, that you can still make a life for yourself. Mm -hmm. Nobody tells you that you can restart your life. A marriage is marriage is the end of the road. At okay. least was, not anymore. Was, exactly. I, well, I don't
0: think that's how your children are. You no, my up. children
1: are not. Thank God Since, for that. Yeah. Thank God yeah. for that. right? But think, yeah. So this is where I want to tell you, I got married through my own choice. And then I realized that the marriage was abusive. It took me a while to get out. Mm-hmm. You come through with this whole thing of you got into this, you need to figure out how mm-hmm. to do this. Yeah. It's not about education. It's not. I'm a strong woman. But that strong woman also gave me the strength to say, try it a little bit more maybe mm-hmm. right or wrong i'm not here to judge myself i'm here to say this stuff can happen to anyone mm-hmm. but i don't think we should be able to uh, i don't think we should judge ourselves blame Absolutely. ourselves or Absolutely. tell that why did this happen to me it happened to me but i can get out you can make a choice to move on yes. you can make a choice to change the status quo so it took me a while it took me a while to even tell my parents who had a very hard time accepting it Things of society, you also stop yourself saying, you know, what do my aging parents think? They've put you through this, they have not seen all this. And in India, marriage is all about adjusting. ro, 50 years, 40 years, it doesn't matter. So true. Do you recognize domestic abuse? Sometimes domestic abuse need not even be just physical. You don't have to raise a hand. You can be verbally, emotionally, highly abusive. Yes. Right? And by the time you know it, it's already too late, and you had a kid, and then how many women do you know who stick through this because of the sake of their children? Sure. I right? most them, yeah. So, so I, I would like to say that I got out of it and I would like to say I got out of it with three kids and very little money. I just had whatever savings I had, I mean very little money as compared to what I was making earlier or what I would have had in my sure. previous marriage. And I just said I know that I don't want my kids to grow up uh, like this Let me take a chance and um, I walked out of it. Um, so how did you trust your second marriage? Uh, that was a tough one. How do I trust a second? I wanted the kids to have a, uh, a more stable household, I would say. Um, and um, that is, how do you trust? Good question, Rajna. How do you trust? When you get married, how do you know it's the right one? How do you know it's going to treat you well? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You hope. I'm an mm-hmm. eternal optimist, and I think that's been a... A failing, as well as a, uh, I think, a positive thing for me, mm. right? So, um, I trusted, but I will tell you, my second marriage has been challenging as well, and uh, I don't want to go into too many details. But I have stepped out of my second marriage, as well, and as of now, I'm single again, and I'm again living life on my own terms. That's brave.
0: brave. <laughs> I can only say that yes, I. We can identify that and move out i think that's a very 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 bold step but very required step for oneself for one's self-worth and one's self-esteem right absolutely i think most women i work a lot and i have a program called i celebrate myself only for this reason because i think women do not know how to celebrate no we don't we don't know our small wins we don't know our own worth we don't create our own esteem in our own eyes we don't believe in ourselves and so everybody else takes it for granted as well
1: absolutely i think a woman we're so busy playing roles mother sister daughter wife mother-in-law you know the you the persona you doesn't exist and somewhere in these roles you lost Mm. and uh, i think that's the biggest problem and you're right about celebrating ourselves Women are amazing in general. Um, we are multifaceted and we can do multiple yeah. things at one time. We are highly, highly empathetic. We take on a lot of pain. We take do sacrifice a lot, but we are also highly efficient. Nobody looks at a housewife and says they're efficient. Mm. Nobody looks at a housewife and says, "Man, she plans so well." Oh, yeah. Put them Absolutely. in a corporate job and see how well they do. Yes. So, um, yes, I've been into troubled marriages for sure. But um, I'm happy to say I have not lost faith in myself. And I'm definitely not going to judge myself for this. So So
0: if I ask you, Sujata, today, so what are the three things that you've learned from your own life? What other people can hear today and learn from it? What is that?
1: Three things? Oh God, just... um, One thing I will say what I have lived by, right? Mm. is, there is no, um, life for me has always been a journey, treat life as a journey, okay? You've not arrived anywhere, neither did you come in from anywhere, right? You were put on this earth and you really don't know what your purpose is and what really makes you take, uh, you know, like my first 15 years, I was super excited about being in a corporate job and by the end of it was like, what impact am I making? I want Mm. to do something more meaningful, right? So there is a second act and a third act and a final act. You know, so you have many more acts to come. So for me, I've always, I live in the present. I look at things as an ever continuous journey of learning. So if you look at it that way, um, it gives me a lot of positivity. It gives me a lot of hope. So that's the one thing I would say. And um, yeah, other thing. For women, I would like to say this, just believe in yourself. And I'm saying this considering that, um, you know, I've gone through self-doubt myself, not to say that I haven't, you know, at times when you all do, I want to say that um, women don't tend to, women tend to doubt themselves a lot more. We don't know how to be assertive. We don't know how to speak our mind. We've been taught over generations. It's in our DNA to take a step back. And uh, look at the amazing number of women out there in corporate, who are leaders in the social sector, in the corporate sector, everywhere, and every housewife who's out there, millions of them who's still suffering through everything, um, I'm saying, there is a voice. Even if it comes to you 10 years later, it's still a voice. Mm. Exercise sure. that voice. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, you're not just a mother, sister, wife, mother-in-law, yeah. daughter. You're you, first. And that's what the rest of the world thinks like, so why can't you?
0: Anything you want to talk about financials, because you had a 15 years of uh, corporate life, I'm sure that you were earning well, but when you came back, you came back with very little money and three children. And I also feel coming from the same kind of trajectory, 26 years in corporate life, I never thought money was important to invest on things that I thought were important or it was important at all that to keep some money for, you know, women don't think about it.
1: So do you have something to I'm not the right person to talk, but I can tell you something. So here's the deal, right? So I can speak from one perspective from moving from a corporate to a social sector. There definitely money takes a hit, Mm -hmm. right? So what I was earning in this in as a corporate sector in the US, I was earning decent money. I came back, left my job and then obviously I left and moved. Um, And in the social sector, you make very little money. So I'll talk about that first, um, or rather, we'll talk about two ways. One is in general, yes, you need to take charge of your money. Don't have to be super, don't have to be intimidated by, oh, I don't understand finances. Hmm. I don't understand how to do wealth management or, I also don't, I'm not very great at I have my brother to help me with this and my dad. And yeah, use your parents and your brother's help for it. But Be aware of your money. Keep some aside for yourself. Basic savings. Okay, touch it on a rainy day, even if it's a simple savings. You should very clearly have access to your money and you should keep some for yourself. There is no such thing as if what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. Please, have yours. He'll have his too. And if you're a non-working woman, demand some of yours because you're taking care of the house. So, it's not about massive financial planning. I'm not the right person. I'm not at all qualified. But I think if women at least take the first step towards owning and that bit of money for themselves and having a basic savings power, a fixed deposit, one small investment, that's fine too. The second thing I'll say, yes, yeah, so um, it'll come to you is when you want to start a new business, go to a new job, maybe walk out like I did, it'll help you. Obviously, I had less money when I walked out, but um, I've been fortunate. I mean, definitely my lifestyle and my kids' lifestyle has taken a cut, but... I look at that too as a journey, right? My inherent positivity helped me weather that. Now I'll come to the second part of it, money in moving from a corporate sector to a social sector. There, I will say one thing, Um, it was people want to get into the social sector. People want to give back, especially youngsters today, right? Um, And I know that parents today look at uh, their children and go, my God, you need to be thinking about money a lot. So, young children today want to get in the social sector, for sure there is far less money. You need to be aware of that. But if social, this thing is your calling, accept it. And um, for younger children, they'll find a way to make their own. But I think those who are doing it like a second act, you know, like I'm done 30 years of corporate, now I want to do social sector. You've made your millions or whatever it is that you've made. Um, It's probably okay to take a step down in your lifestyle and you've done what you needed to do so if you want to volunteer or you want to work in a social sector you'll get enough to get by but the happiness or the satisfaction that you get out of doing something in the social sector is is that outweighs this and someday having said that someday i hope even the social sector will start paying high they should yeah. I don't see why we shouldn't, yeah, it's actually sure. ridiculous that we don't, but mm. that's simply because the, the funding landscape is a little difficult, funders and donors want to give you money for, um, uh, you know, to make sure for the, the child has a book, for yes. the program, yes. I'll give you money, you buy that book, Array, mm. who's going to go there and mm. give the book, who's going to design the program, who's going to measure the metrics, so who pays those salaries, right? So that landscape is changing, there are a lot of large foundations who are talking about, you know, calling it pay what it takes. Mm. You want so to donate true. to an NGO, please donate for, yeah. keep aside 30% there's for their running. Yes? Plan, yeah, our rents, a, our phone bills, Everything. Yeah. you know, so, but um, yeah, so that's the thing. But 17,000 feet also, like I want to tell you, um, so my, if you look at 17,000 feet, I'm a social entrepreneur, so yes, I have been recognized when I got into the field. Uh, I wanted to do stuff in Ladakh, right, and it was so new. I had no idea about the social sector. I went in there with very little knowledge. I just knew that when I came back that I needed to do something for these kids and I found it very heartbreaking that they were being sent far away when they were very young, old ages. Uh, the school education system was so bad, I had no idea. So that's it. I went and asked for help. I reached out to so many large non-profits and I said, what is it that you do? I realized everybody was willing to, you know, give you knowledge and support you from the backing, but they said, you're Ladakh, who mm. You know, it's expensive to go there. There's no electricity, no roads, no phone yeah. connectivity, who So, I decided that I want, if I want to make a change, I'll do this myself. So that's when I started 17,000 feet. And um, I started 17,000 feet with my husband and my co-founder, another uh, third member of Ladaki, And um, it has been a journey from convincing corporates and large foundations to invest with us, impact, invest with us. We used to say, look, don't just look at that government school here in Delhi. Mm. Why can't you look at a government school, which is a three day walk, where children have to walk for three hours, climb two mountains, why don't they deserve a better life? So I've been talking and advocating the cause of these children in many places. It's a, it's a relentless job. So That's the only way to do it. So, I grew this organization um, from 2012, I formally established it. And what we've done is we've beautified the uh, schools. Schools, we took these schools from these tiny broken down two-room, uninviting places to brightly lit up solar electricity, painting, carpeting, furniture, playgrounds, tablets, digital education. We've had to carry playgrounds on horseback. There are villagers who would come and walk with us for three days to carry equipment from the main road over mountain paths to reach their villages. We've spent days, weeks, I've slept in cars, slept in tents, gone up and set up a library in a school, then come back next day, trained the teachers, worked with children, got them excited about books. You know, I've set up, we've set up libraries in 450 villages wow. in the Indian Himalayas, Amazing. across Ladakh and Sikkim. So that's commando. Oh. Yeah, we've set up playgrounds in about three, 400 schools. And imagine all of this equipment is made here in Delhi, shipped all the way to Ladakh, and from Ladakh it's sent off. And my, there's teams out there, they are like four offices, Lee, Cargill, Gangtok and Gurgaon, the four offices that are there. Um, we've been, I go there in winters, I used to go there in wow. winters. Then <laughs> it's minus 25, minus 30, and I train teachers. Um, yeah, teachers come, they walk across heavy snow, just so they can attend training sessions, highly motivated teachers. If you can just get out of the comfort zone, out of your homes and your air-conditioned mm. offices, go out there and live few days as they do, you'll see how much aspiration there is for yeah. some basic stuff that you have. Sure. More than anything else, I think when you go volunteer or donate, what you get back from them is probably more than what you give them. You learn humility, you learn empathy, you learn sense of community and mm. things like that. So this is what uh, we have done, but, um, but again, along I will have to tell you this as well, uh, that um, with my second marriage breaking down, I, because it was, found, it was with my co-founder, they, because of the difference of opinion and how we were running the organization, how the organization would scale ahead. I've decided now to step down from, I have stepped down from 17,000 feet foundation oh, as well.
0: Dear.
1: Yes, it's after 11 years Okay. as the founder. I'm still the founder, but I'm no longer there. And um, yes, I'm ready for my third act. Maybe for a, I'm, I'm very, very excited to see where I can take this to carry this journey, my passion, to more children, more parts of the country.
0: Wow, well, I'm not even able to consume this, to be honest, because the way that, um, you know, it was like an ongoing journey I was going through with you, with 17,000 feet. And it seems that like, I have fallen down from a mountain that high, when you say that I have just stepped down, and I would like, say, why would somebody I'm sure there are many reasons with it, and of course, you know, um, maybe this is not the forum to discuss that, but I'm sure that this decision of um, doing your third act or just reinventing your second act, whatever it might be, um, may you touch many more lives. Thank you. And um, go many more heights. I don't know what the next level of 17,000 feet is I don't know either um, yeah maybe you're touching the skies with 35,000 feet who knows I don't know
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes it was a difficult decision for sure but uh, overall in the interest of saving the organization and not causing conflict and so yeah that was a decision that was taken I don't know what the future holds and you've called me here at a time when I was just transitioned out so yeah, maybe the next podcast will be the one with uh, yeah,
0: absolutely, you know, and I'll be waiting for it because second the second act act podcast is all about people wanting to discover something they've never done before. Uh, maybe taking the first step, maybe just um, you know, just breaking all the barriers that that we have within ourselves and women, especially. Like I yeah. said, you know, something that we always feel no, I don't have it in me, but we have it in us, and whenever we discover it, it's great, right? So.
1: I think, yeah, the one thing, also you asked me another thing I want to say is that you're, you're right, we're kind of afraid of the unknown. Mm. Actually, th- that's the one thing. The first, um, everything out there is unknown. And I think all of us love to stay in our comfort zones. It's easier, correct? There is, it's a tough world out there for sure. But it's only difficult when you step out there. It's like a child when the child goes from school to college. Do you know how frightening it is? You know, you've lost that whole thing. And college to the first job, it is super frightening. Talk to your kids today, you know. It's like that. So, But when we become adults, why are we so scared? Mm. Why are we so scared? When we're children, our parents will hold our hand and say, kindergarten, say, beta, you've gone into school, and so on and so forth. But once we become adults, we're so much scared of, change, mm. scared of changing our journey, moving into a new profession, giving up their corporate jobs because, my God, I don't know how much money I need for my children. And you <laughs> you kind of, you know... Uh, subdue your own natural urges right. to try something new so it's not all that hard it may be difficult the first few weeks months give yourself the time it's natural but you'll get into it human beings are very very resilient i believe
0: yes and we can see it from your story
1: <laughs> thank you
0: <laughs> so sujata we will do a wrap now and um, i want to ask you one last question that if there's something that you still want to tell the audience who's hearing us today or seeing us today what is your message
1: to them? I think I've sweat quite a bit already actually, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I like what you're doing with the uh, second act, um, a second act could be just reinventing yourself yes. and I think we need to do that. For more reasons than one, it's just that um, there's so much to learn when you reinvent yourself. You look at a fresh perspective. You don't have to change jobs yes. to you know stop a, get or walk out of a marriage to have so, a second act. Yes, you can be in the same job and reinvent yourself. You know, and that gives you so much of a better perspective. It's so enriching for you as a person. So I'd say embrace it. Embrace it. You'll never be bored. <laughs> so,
0: thank you very much, and thank you, and um, learning from you, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> so, thanks for being on the podcast, and I hope that this podcast especially left us to think a little bit, introspect a little bit of how we can transform our journeys. Here's a bold woman who's taken many steps, and um, I think there's so much to still discover. But until next time, like Sujata said, Um, waiting for her yet another second act to discuss with us. Thank you, thank Thank you Ajna. Ajna.